Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, we bring you the leading edge of health, happiness, and well-being. There's so much going on in the space right now, and it's just a delight to see week by week, month by month, new research published showing the link between our thoughts and our physical and our surrounding reality. And we may think that thoughts are abstract, we may think that the stuff goes on that goes on between our eyes and our brains and our skulls is just an idea, a worldview, and yet it has concrete effects on our bodies. We're seeing more and more research showing that, for example, it affects stress hormones, it affects neurotransmitters, it affects genes. All of these things are dancing in a complex interaction with our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, and our beliefs. So shift what you can and it's just remarkable to see what can happen in your outside life when you shift your inner vision of the world. It's powerful to realize that and hear stories of people who did that. Just this last week, I talked to somebody who had got a cancer diagnosis. And rather than panicking and rushing off and getting served the first available surgery date, she decided to see what she could do with her mind. And it's so interesting that in the few months since that happened, that tumor has shrunk to the point of undetectability. And we know now that when we have, a, have those certain thoughts, when we have beliefs, when we have feelings, it's having measurable effects on our bodies. And we can find these effects down to the level of the genes and which genes are turned on and turned off. So I encourage you to fill your life, fill your mind, fill your world with positive influences. I know I, I watch the news every once in a while, not too often, but maybe two or three times a week. And I always follow it up with doing some web surfing and looking at positive stories. There are so many positive things going on right now. There are projects to restore coral reefs that are showing enormous success. There are, there are school classrooms being built in the Malawi, one of the, two, one of the first countries in the world, that cost $12,000 each to build a whole school classroom. And there are volunteers raising $12,000 and building those schools. So you don't hear about that on the headline news, but if you look, you'll find all kinds of ways of focusing on the positive and people doing that collectively. So I encourage you, as well as paying attention to what's happening out there in the, in the mainstream media, also look for all the good news stories there are. Those are just as real, and there are often a lot more of them than of the doom and gloom. This is all a way of filling your mind with positive thoughts and positive ideas. And this show is one of those ways of doing it. High energy health. Listen to the wonderful ideas our guests have, and even more important, find ways of applying them in your life. We talk here about energy healing. We talk here about acupressure. We talk here about grounding, about tapping, about meditation, all these things you can actually do. And I encourage you to have 
a strong and consistent practice where you apply these techniques in your life. So please do that. Pick the style of meditation that works for you. In my new book, Bliss Brain, I list seven styles of meditation, seven meditation schools that cover the gamut from movement to sound to breath work to following thoughts to mindfulness. It's worth just experimenting with the one that works for you, but then picking one and applying that in your life. So do find one that you can make into a regular daily practice. It can make all the difference. And that is all at blissbrain.com. You'll find those seven kinds of meditation. You'll find other techniques as well you can play around with and then find ones that mesh, that match your particular lifestyle. So whatever you do, make sure you take control of what's going on inside your mind, your head. And by doing that, you're also taking control of what goes on inside your body and the world around you. My guest today is David Gandelman. He's a spiritual teacher, author, and guide. He defines his mission is to awaken souls on their path of growing into being human and living an enlightened, purpose-driven life. He is the author of The Seven Energies of the Soul and the founder of the Meditation School app and podcast. He's taught at Cornell University, NBC, SAP, and other places. David, it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. Dawson, it's great to be back. I think this is our third conversation. It's good to see that beautiful, <laughs> smiling face. <laughs> and it's always good. <laughs> and there's a lot, if you meditate, there's always a lot to smile about. So how did you get into this path and where do you begin to make this a consistent practice yourself? Sure. So I actually started when I was 16. I picked up Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And literally, I, I don't know, page, page two or three, it's something just hit me. And it was like a light bulb went off inside. I had what you might call a spiritual awakening. And from there, I started meditating regularly. I didn't know what I was doing. All I had were books. So I started going to Barnes and Nobles and just buying all the books I could. It was, it was before YouTube. It was before podcasts. And so I really had to teach myself. There were no teachers. I grew up in the suburbs in New Jersey. So I was self-taught for years. First meditation class I took was in college. It was a Zen class. And I remember sitting for 40 straight minutes going, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Everything hurts. I Everything relate. hurts. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I did one class at the beginning of the semester and it felt, it felt really good though. And then I did a second class at the end of the semester and it was much more painful. And I went to the, the teacher and I said, hey, this time around, it was way harder. I couldn't sit still. My back hurt. It was pain. It was brutal. And he said, are you in the middle of finals? And I, and I thought, oh, I, I am in the middle of finals. He goes, you're stressed. And as I had been meditating already for years, but I had never linked those two things, Dawson. And I was like, I'm stressed? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I was, and it was coming out in my meditation. And so it really wasn't until I went to India and then I lived in India for a while in the ashrams. Lived, I lived in Hawaii studying the intuitive arts. It wasn't until I found some really good teachers that I, I built a structured practice and was able to really work through some of that stress and that energy that I was unconscious of. I was great at sitting still and being present but I wasn't aware of how to work through the layers of energy that were kind of sitting maybe a little, a little bit dormant or suppressed underneath my normal awareness. So I had to go down into the dungeons and bring a broom and do some cleaning and some dusting. And 
that was kind of how my path got started. I, I ended up living in ashrams just because I had, since I was 16, 17, I had dreamed of going to India and doing that. It's kind of a weird dream for a teenager in the suburbs of New Jersey, but that's what I wanted. And I got to fulfill that and learn from some amazing teachers in the Eastern traditions. And here I am chatting with you and teaching myself and still practicing every day, every single day, sitting down, meditating. I, I don't know if it ever gets easier, but it does feel like it gets richer. It does, uh, yeah. And I, know, I just reflect on that myself after I've been doing it regularly, irregularly 50 years and regularly 20 years every day. And I still am surprised, David, that my mind wanders every single time. You think that after 50 years of irregular <laughs> meditation, 20 years of daily meditation, you'd be over that. Alas, <laughs> not the case. That's right. Well, I I see the mind wandering as just almost like a function a reflection of the movements in the body as well. So there are emotions, there are feelings, there are physical experiences, and then they bubble up like a bubble rising to the surface of water, and then they turn into thoughts. So I think that's kind of natural. That never goes away. It's a function of the body and, the, and our physiology of the mind. I think the secret in meditation is to learn how to deal with it and not, not fight the waves or punch the water expecting to make progress that way. So I think the key there is in learning to flow with it, let go of trying to control them, and then see what's in, in the spaces in between the thoughts and what's in the energy behind the thoughts. And that's where I focus with my students is learning to see the energy behind the thoughts, what they're made of, what their messages are, and then where the growth is in that space. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Trying to resist them or trying to push them away is really successful. You know, I had planned to ask you this day, but I'm curious. I have some friends who believe very strongly that you need a living master to launch you on the path. Others believe that you can have a non-living master or you don't need a master at all. What's your take on the must have a living master, a living guru, versus the other alternatives question. Well, let's, let's just take a few examples. Eckhart Tolle didn't have a teacher. He had an awakening in the middle of the night on the verge of suicide. The Buddha had many teachers, but it's not known that he had a master or Jesus. You know, you could find countless people who had great awakenings and became incredible teachers that did not have masters. So when somebody says that, maybe that's true for them. At this moment, at this in this cycle for, for them, and I, I went through the guru cycle, living in India. Uh, Doss and I went to every guru I could find, and if they had a beard, I was on my knees praying to them and, and listening to them. I had no discernment whatsoever. I used to literally have a stack of pictures of gurus in India in my pocket. I would walk around with like baseball cards. I knew all their names and their biographies and their special powers. <laughs> I knew it all. I was like guru obsessed. And, you know, I was in my early 20s, so I was very much in this phase of gathering information, of spiritual shopping. And I just thought they, if they touch me on the third eye, I'll become enlightened. And I'm just looking for that grace to be saved, to be healed. And for me, that was a phase I had to grow out of. And I realized the only person who's going to save me is myself. I'm in charge of my own spiritual growth and awareness and the cultivation of that awareness. And it's amazing to have guides. We're both guides. That's what we do for a living is guiding. So I'm 100% for guides. But there comes a point where I think you have to let the dream that some master is going to do it for you go. And they're going to die and if and maybe before you do. And then again, you'll be on your own. And I think it's good to not lean too heavily on a master. But there are phases in life where we need that support. So I'm open to both. 
ends of the spectrum, really depending on what you need and where you are on your journey. For me, even being part of a spiritual group makes me a little nauseous. <laughs> I used to run a spiritual school in Hawaii, so I was the director of it, and and it was really fun. But I just don't like group dynamics. I don't like the politics and the power plays. They always everything. Every spiritual group, Dawson, ends in a sex scandal or a money scandal. You know, there's always <laughs> something that weird that goes down. And I just I like being on my own, just teaching and letting everybody have their own path. Yes, I, yeah, I know what you mean. That's a really interesting take on it. Some people need that, other people don't. I also wonder how, looking back, whether those momentary or or fragmentary exposures to a great teacher aren't sometimes enough. I know that in research, I'm doing research along with a bunch of neuroscientists on this right now, we find that usually there was uh, some contact with a master, and it may have only been sitting in an audience of 2000 people, it may have been no closer than that, it may have been a really close contact, but, but you're right, the dynamics of ashrams, the dynamics of spiritual groups, they're as dysfunctional as corporations and <laughs> yeah, tend to be often more so because of divine authority that's conferred on people too, which is an additional layer of power, of, of power play. So yeah, it really is a mixed bag. And I'm, I've been just mulling on that question, you know, the, the guru or the no guru. Were there any that you, you noticed that you encountered that you felt were particularly pure, for want of a better word, or authentic, or were really disinterested in worldly fame and fortune and were doing it for and able to genuinely confer movement on their students? Yes, but I think that I placed this idea of perfection on top of them, which was not a reality because we all have a, a human form. And so I had a guru I would go sit with all the time. He was like seven feet tall, powerful energy. He was a monk in India. And I thought, he was, this, this man is perfect. And if I sit in front of him long enough and absorb, I will become enlightened too. And I remember one evening he was giving a talk and somebody asked him a question he didn't like and they pressed a little hard and he snapped and he was like if you don't like what i have to say i'll go back to my room and won't teach anymore and i was sitting in the front row dawson i started shaking because my whole world was was shaking because i thought this man was perfect i'm going to follow him forever and this is my guru and then here he is snapping and losing it on on a, on a pretty simple question uh, and I, it was then when I realized, wow, I can't rely on somebody else. But I think there are amazing teachers in the world. Eckhart Tolle is one of them. I love Adya Shanti a lot as well. There's a few out there that I know of that are really wonderful people. Are they perfect? I highly doubt it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just not a. I don't think that's a, a part of the dimension that we live in, perfection. I don't think it's a quality that exists here. So the human form always takes a part of it, but the energy and the awareness that can come through somebody can be very healing and beautiful. And it is very powerful to be in the presence of somebody like that. And it can change you, especially if you're spiritually sensitive and open. But yes. by no means do you need it. I, but I think if you are, are graced with that experience and it's helpful, that's really wonderful. I don't know if you know the story of Ramakrishna and Vivekananda. No. Vivekananda was the first person to bring Eastern philosophy to the United States. 1893, he gave a talk at the World Fair in Chicago, and he was a hit right out of the gate. And he tells this story that he went to this guru who had no official training. He was just kind of like blissed out Ramakrishna all the time. And Vivekananda thought, are you crazy? Are you enlightened? I don't know what's going on here. And Vivekananda was very well learned. He was a Vedantic scholar. And the story is that he tells Ramakrishna, knocked him on the third eye with his fingers. 
and Vivekananda fell into like a deep state of bliss for three straight days. And on the third day, he woke up out of it. And he was like, what the F was that? And, and he started sitting with Ramakrishna and realizing, oh, this man may not have intellect in the way I do, but he has some kind of spiritual awareness that, that I don't. And, and he, I would say he like transferred some of it for a moment. But Vivekananda had to do a lifetime of work to embody that awakening and that energy. It's not like you get bopped on the head and you're done. The, the first step is often grace like mine was opening Eckhart Tolle's book and the light bulb going off. That took no work on my part whatsoever. But the next 20 years of meditating and becoming an adult and all of the jazz that comes with it, that took a lot of work and continues to. And so I went to this guru before he had a meltdown, the one I was seeing in India. And I said, can you touch me on the third eye the way Ramakrishna touched Vivekananda? (laughs) And he goes, well, it takes a Vivekananda to be touched on the third eye. (laughs) So he was saying, "I, I wasn't ready. And about a week later, or two weeks later, I was on a bu- on a train in India, long train ride. I had a bed, I was sleeping. And I had this deep, deep dream where this teacher came to me and he touched me on the third eye. It's hard to describe in words, Dawson, but it was like this bliss that was beyond level 10. It was so intense. It felt like coming home in a way that I had never experienced or understood. And it was so intense that I woke up with a gasp. I woke up, I was like... <gasps> Like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't handle the level of bliss that was in that. And then I understood, wow, yeah, there, maybe I'm not ready. You know, the vessel, your body, your being, your personality have, has to be ready to handle that kind of energy. And that was an incredible experience that came through a, a dream for me. I'm on the other side. Now I'm the teacher and people are always coming to me saying, oh, you healed me or you fixed me, or you helped me. I can sleep again because of you. I used to have panic attacks. Now I don't. And I get to see it from the other side going, I'm not the perfect being that you think I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I always make a point in my workshops of telling a few stories. I taught a workshop this past weekend, and I do demonstrations with people, usually as part of those. And uh, I picked one someone to do a demonstration with. Began the demonstration. I totally blew it, David. (laughs) I'd actually time myself. I said, time out, stop. Let's just do a redo. I'm going to go back five minutes and start this again. And I I just told everyone how, how big a mistake I'd made and what the mistake was. And it's so useful for them to see that. And if, if I don't actually make one like that, I'll tell a story of what I did because you want people to realize, hey, you know, we're we're all wrestling with these things. We're all, you know, here I am, I'm the teacher and here I'm. <laughs> so it's really exactly. important that people be aware of, of those limitations and realize we are all working on parts of ourselves. We may have developed a long way. That doesn't mean we've developed all the way in every dimension of life. So it's important exactly. to know that. Exactly. Yeah. I want to ask you what your definition, your view, actually we don't have time now. We need to go to a break right now. This will have to wait till after the break. So (laughs) (laughs) we're going to go to a break right now. But if you'd like to know more about David's work, go to his his website, meditationschool.us, meditationschool.us. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I'm delighted to share with you every week in the same place about all the wonderful options there are for you for personal growth, for spiritual development, and for physical healing. 
There are so many things you can do and they can make your life much, much better. So if you take away one thing today, take away the idea of practice and what you can apply in your life, take notes and then see what calls to you. You'll feel a yearning in your heart if you're meant to do this or that. And then go ahead and do that thing. Make that one shift, implement that one practice, and you'll see things start to shift then all around you. You can find seven of these different practices in my new book, Bliss Brain. Also, if you wouldn't mind leaving me a review on Amazon, I'd appreciate that. If you read the book and loved it, if you've downloaded those meditations and used them, we've received huge amounts of customer feedback on people who've used them and then felt themselves changing. So just go ahead and leave a review for Bliss Brain. I'd love to encourage more people to have access to this work. For more on David's work, go to his website, meditationschool.us. That's meditationschool.us. David, I'm also really focused on this whole concept of enlightenment and what it is. I know in terms of neuroscience, we can see when we look at people's brains, which brain regions are active. And there's a whole network we call the enlightenment network that is a series of regions, actually a series of four regions that are highly active in addicts and long-term meditators. And so we can see what the brain signature of it is. The experience of it is something, something else. How do you personally see and define enlightenment? That's a great question. I think it's a very hard term to define. Maybe I could start by analogy, which is, to me, it's like walking into a dark room and turning on the lights. So we wake up, we turn on the lights, we become enlightened. And when we do that, we start to have more awareness. So maybe there are levels of enlightenment. Maybe there are areas in our lives where we're enlightened in our relationship space or in our creativity. Maybe we're great at sitting still. And then maybe there are areas in our life, in our life where we're not enlightened. <laughs> like our relationships for a lot of people or around money where we have resistance and pain, unconsciousness, where we have uh, patterns that we're not aware of, old beliefs, right? So I think enlightenment is much more of a slow process of expanding, healing and awakening than people give it credit for. Of course, there's the sexy kind that Eckhart Tolle talks about in his book, of just waking up in the middle of the night and then it happening, like one great realization, right? But for most of us, it tends to happen in drips. It tends to happen layer by layer, inch by inch. And even Eckhart says he spent a couple of years sitting on a park bench, trying to understand what happened to him and integrating it. And at a, at a deeper level, at a deeper spiritual level, Maybe enlightenment is when we disidentify with our thoughts and awaken to who we truly are. Maybe we can call that like the big S for self. There's like the little self, the, the ego self. I, I, my name and my history, my bank account, my friends, all the things we identify. And then there's the big self that is really just the oneness that we're all a part of. Or another way to put it would be like a, a wave on the ocean, right? So the little self thinks, I'm this wave. <laughs> I'm big. I'm bad. I'm going to crash onto you. And in reality, when we wake up, oh, I'm just a movement of this one ocean of consciousness. And it's taking a specific form in this specific body right now. And so awakening to that true nature is probably a deeper, we can call it definition 
of enlightenment. But then we have the awakening and then we have to bring that awakening into our human form. And I think that's where I work a lot with my students on is how to bring that into the world as a human being. I love doing that because the old model was that when you'd had that experience, you went away somewhere. And I know I finished meditation some days and two hours have gone by and I know I have to go deal. Like last month, our, we have a massive website and we got hacked by Russian hackers. And here, and here <laughs> I am, I'm meditating. I have to go, go to a tech meeting and deal with the Russian hackers. You really oh don't want to God. do that. You can see why the old monks fled to the monastery, went and lived in the desert, climbed the Himalayas and found a cave. <laughs> You don't wow. want to go deal with Russian hackers after you've been in that space. And yet it's so magical that, you know, you bring, say, for example, in fact, in that example, my heart was full of compassion. Here, here are very talented coders, and they're trying to hack into people's main computers and steal data and credit card numbers. And, you know, if only those people had put those talents to, to, to good use. And so you feel compassion that, that that's the, the highest thing they can figure out to do. And so you sit there and you actually, you actually are in the meeting having compassion for the Russian hackers and, and, and sending them <laughs> love while you're dealing with the problem they pose to you. But it's so powerful to then come back into the world and, you know, what, what about your marriage? What about your relationship? And how about you, you, how do you treat your people, your pets, your neighbors, everyone around you? So I, I love that, that now path is much more to move our understanding into the world around us and not, so I mean, one, one thing we do here at EFT University is we treat veterans with PTSD. We've treated over 20,000 of them in the last decade. So that's a practical way of bringing this into solving a social problem. And I, I love that more and more people are bringing their practices into prisons, into classrooms, into consulting rooms and hospitals. And we're, we're really doing things in the world now. We're not fleeing the Himalayas and locking ourselves in a cave. <laughs> uh, leave it up to Dawson to send compassion to the computer hackers that stole his information. <laughs> If it was me, Dawson, I'd probably give him a big New Jersey F you and then maybe cultivate compassion. <laughs> yeah, so bring, let's talk more about say, bringing your, your spirituality, bringing your, those experiences into your daily. Sure. And actually, so that's what I just wrote a book about. And maybe this is a, a good moment to describe that because I think the, the, the book is kind of the foundation I set up to help people understand how they bring their awakening, their enlightenment into the world. And, and so the, the book is called The Seven Energies of the Soul. And the analogy that I use is like when pure light passes through a prism, it breaks into seven color, main colors of the rainbow, right? Uh, obviously, there are thousands of colors and mixtures, uh, but there's seven main colors. And the way I look at life is we have these kind of seven energies, these seven areas of life where that awareness moves through the prism of our body and then out into the human world, into, into the physical realm. And so, for example, one is our creator, our ability to... Uh, maybe build something to grow a business to you know build a home for ourselves farm and make food and the ability to do and to make and then another is the healer uh, this energy that wants to fix to solve to make people feel better to become whole one is the warrior the the part of us that wants to take action and have discipline and and conquer fear right one part of us is the, the lover the, the part of us that wants to merge with someone else, to connect, right? to have compassion. Part of us is an artist where we want to create. Part of us is an explorer where we want to experience. Part of us maybe is a guide, a master, a teacher of some kind. And we want to share our wisdom and our enlightenment. So I see it like the, the light of 
say, say you find some level of spiritual awakening, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, nirvana, satori, you know, there's so many words for it. And then, okay, well, what do I do with this light? Am I just going to sit with it and keep it for myself? Or am I going to share it with the world? And there's this great quote from Picasso. He says, the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away. And that's how I see it as well. Okay, so I found this light. How do I want to bring it into the world, manifest it into the world and share it? And I don't think there's one right way. And I think if we focus too much on one angle, like for example, there was a point in my life, Dawson, where I thought everything was about spirituality. If that's the only thing that matters, the human form doesn't matter, money doesn't matter, relationships don't matter. Remember, I was living in India in the ashram going, nothing matters but this enlightenment. And and then, you know, I was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> you know, I would love to have a partner or, you know, money to be able to travel or to, you know, now I take three music lessons a week. I do piano, guitar, and singing every single week. I take comedy lessons. I do all sorts of cool stuff that I couldn't do before when I didn't have money or I didn't have structure in my life or time or a place to do it. And I love giving. I have a foundation. We work with orphanages in India and Nepal. You know, so there's all these ways where my energy wants to move into different areas of life. And I think happiness is when we fulfill all of those areas and find balance. It's a byproduct. And so that's how I see taking enlightenment and bringing it into the world. And that's just how I cut up the pie. Yeah, no, I, I love the, the idea of that light coming in through the prisms, and then the prisms are different ways in which we differentiate it to practice in the world. We're going to do a break right now. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. For more on David's work, go to his website, which is meditationschool.us. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. My guest today is David Gandelman. His website is Meditation School. Dot us. David, I love the analogy of that light coming in through a prism and then reflecting through all of these differentiated ways, whether the giving and charity, whether their marriage and relationship, whether they're taking care of our physical body, exercise, fun, play, all of these different ways. And I, I really am grateful for that focus and that we are we are seeing people now bringing these 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 techniques to all these different facets of, of life, bringing this awareness to all these different parts of their lives. And then you'll, you'll realize I am a pretty good husband, but you know, maybe I'm not going to make money. So I'll focus on that. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I, I do that, that, that piece too. And you know, one of the things that I'm, I wouldn't say I'm struggling with right now, I, I'm struggling with it in a, in a certain way, but there is such a huge gap in experience between people who are doing what we're doing, meditating every day, being in tune with non-local self, where you're letting go of your local focus every day, you're moving into these realms of connection with something greater than yourself, the universe, whatever you call it, and then you're bringing that down through the prism and into all these parts of your life. And what happens is that you get so happy, so blissful, that for you it's wonderful, 
but it also disconnects you with the experience of everyone around you because here you're in crises and you're you know you're you're in, in, in daily life which people are very aware of the problems in the world problems in their own lives and yet you're in the state of bliss so for me bridging the gap is actually it actually takes a lot a lot of effort every day to one to the other i don't know if you're finding that or how you handle that or yeah actually the other night i was down in florida with some friends and we went out in the evening we we're like let's check out the town and it was this belligerent drunk dark energy you know mess and we were looking around going oh dear lord humanity <laughs> do we have a chance there's this quote from I think it was uh, Carl Jung's, one of his students asked him, is the apocalypse inevitable? And he said, not, enough, not if enough people do their inner work. So what that threshold is, I don't know. I think people try to do science around that if it's like 1% of the people or 5 or 10. So you can look at it. Maybe it doesn't have to be everybody has this great spiritual awakening, but maybe there are enough people on the planet that shift their energy and, and that like changes the tide. Eckhart Tolle in his book, A New Earth, has this great analogy of when the first flowers ever came about on Earth hundreds of millions of years ago, there was probably one or two and they died very quickly. And then at a certain point, they crossed the threshold and then they just exploded all over the Earth, right? And now there's flowers everywhere you go, especially Hawaii. And we were talking about that before the show. And uh, so maybe there's a threshold that reaches and then all of a sudden there's a lot of people that start to have an awakening. I, I hold out some hope for that. But it is something I struggle with as well. You know, the the violence, the unconsciousness, the anger, the resentment, the fear, the selfishness on the planet. But I always go back to, you know, the, if you look at paintings of the Buddha, he has all these demons around him that that he turned into his serv servants, right? That's kind of the mythology is these demons came to scare him, to take over, and he he turned them around and made him made them his servants. And so not everybody is in resistance to the way the world is like you are going, hey, how come more people aren't awake? Some people could care less. They're in resistance to like one ex-partner or their boss or they're in resistance to their family, or they have some physical ailment that, that's, that they're dying from. And so we all have different things in life that bring resistance out in us. And that is our great spiritual path, is to find out what that thing is trying to teach us. Uh, for me, I always struggled with like intimate relationships. I went through some rejection, you know, in my 20s, I was like, damn, this part of life is hard. Meditating in the Himalayas. Yeah. The Himalayas is easy meditating 10 hours a day. This whole relationship thing is a pain. So I think we have to find what, what you know really messes with us. And that is our spiritual work. And then maybe that image of all these people being not enlightened or aggressive and angry and hateful, maybe that's the demon that you kind of allow to float next to you to consistently remind you to have compassion and to continue to do the work. And then maybe that's what creates the healing for yourself and for humanity. And it's always true that we do have one area of our life. Maybe it's money, maybe it's spirituality, maybe it's body, maybe it's diet, maybe it's exercise, maybe sickness and health. There is always one area of challenge for everyone. And it's interesting to see people address those or not address those and then see how their spiritual journey can affect and influence those. I'm so struck by some of the great mystics had various afflictions and adversities, and yet they they were managing their process of, of shining even despite those. So yeah, those those areas of our lives that are we, we see as imperfect can be 
the the next step for us in letting that facet of the prism, letting the light shine through there as well. Look what happened to Jesus, right? <laughs> he got he got strung up literally by a mob that said, "We're not interested in the gifts that you have to offer." And so that's like one of the great lessons of Christianity, right? And of that happening to him and him having to accept that something along the lines of him first saying, "God, why have you forsaken me?" and and then accepting the experience even at that level. For him as a yes. master, he had to accept that experience at the worst, most intense possible level any of us could ever imagine. And that maybe that was his initiation. And for all of us, we'll all die. I mean, we'll all face old age and die. It's inevitable. So our bodies will be, you know, start to wind out at a certain point and we'll die. So even if you have a perfect life, <laughs> you will still face the aging and death. News flash to you if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and bringing consciousness to limitation like that is is really powerful. I know that I've just had several people die. Or I've worked with people who are dying. People, in my, several people in my group have died or had loved, loved ones die. And then maintaining that consciousness when you're faced with a loss or a shattering loss. It's also another dimension of that loss because if you do have that connection with something greater than yourself, you realize that consciousness doesn't die. And so you don't have the same sense of losing that you know you're losing the person's body, but you know that there's one consciousness and that that endures. So that's a very powerful lens through to see these losses. It is. Yeah. So you're with people initiating practice. Let's in the next segment, let's cover the main obstacles to it and how you overcome them. Because that that's it's the seasoned meditator usually needs no encouragement to keep on going. It's the person who's trying it out for the first time that is challenged. So let's go ahead and cover that in the next segment. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. For more on David's work, go to his website, meditationschool.us. We'll be right back after a break. Welcome back. You're listening to High Energy Health, and I encourage you to make high energy health a habit. Every week, we're here for you. We're covering inspiring topics. Join me, be inspired, and then practice. And fill your mind with positive ideas, positive thoughts. Recent research is showing that these are having epigenetic effects on your body. In fact, even some strongly inherited diseases, certain kinds of cancer, Alzheimer's, even though these are measured with genetic markers, Research is showing that those genes are expressed more when people are filling their minds with negative thoughts. If they fill their minds with positive thoughts, often those genes don't express. So the new research is showing that there's a powerful link between the quality of your thinking and the genes that are triggered in your body. Listen to the show, listen to positive media, and trigger all those positive effects in your physical form. For more on all of these new discoveries, go to my website, blissbrain.com. You get a free copy of my book, Bliss Brain. Also, eight meditations that'll put you on that path. Simple ways of putting yourself on that path and inspiring yourself every day. All of that's at blissbrain.com. And for more on David's work, go to his website, meditationschool.us. You'll find a membership site. You'll find a lot of great free material. And that'll start you on that journey. So David, starting the journey and then staying with the journey the first little while, we find in research that people who meditate for a while get addicted 
to all of the feel-good hormones and neurochemicals like oxytocin and serotonin, dopamine and anamide that are released in the brain during deep meditation. So after you're launched, you're launched. Getting launched, though, <laughs> for most people is really fraught, and they try meditate, their minds are busy, they're uncomfortable in their bodies like you described, and there are all these obstacles. How do you counsel those people? What do you recommend they do at the start of the journey so they can establish that consistent practice in their lives? Sure. And I mean, launching is a great analogy. So when a physical rocket launches, it probably needs 90% of its energy just to get out of the atmosphere, right? And then the rest is kind of easy cruising using the gravitational pull of the moon or wherever it's going. So it is the it is the launch that is the hardest. And luckily for people like you and me, because we get to reach so many people, we have these large data sets to find out what's ailing them, where their struggles are, and why they have a hard time getting started and being consistent. So my three most streamed meditations, first is morning gratitude, second is help with sleep, and third is anxiety, none of which surprised me at all, <laughs> but it's good to actually see it in the data. So people are going, I want to learn to meditate in the morning and be grateful. And I'm having a hard time sleeping and I'm anxious. That probably is true for 80 to 90% of us, right? So why not enter meditation through the area in your life that you're struggling with? Make it a practice to heal yourself and to grow rather than I'm just going to sit still so my thoughts go away or I could be part of the cool meditation club, right? So if, if it's anxiety go through the door of anxiety. So for example, with my students, what I like to do is uh, start with them with like a four-step process. And I just call it, find it, feel it, face it, and heal it. So we close our eyes and usually there's something bothering us. Excessive ruminating thoughts, anxiety, anger, resentment, regret, whatever it is. If there was nothing there, you would be sitting in bliss and we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't need my help. So first find it. What is it? And maybe you start to you, you start to sense it, right? You feel it. Okay, there's a knot in my stomach. There's a pulsating on my chest. There's a heaviness on my head. You know, I'm starting to feel it. And then we have to face it. And and what is it? Oh, it's anxiety. That pulsating is anxiety on my chest, right? I could feel the heaviness. And and when we start to face it, that's when we can heal it. So we have to go deeper. Where is this anxiety coming from? I thought it was coming from because I, I thought it was coming from this place of I don't have enough time today, but really I'm angry at my partner or I have some trauma from childhood. So by sitting with a feeling and not running away from it, it starts to show us what it really is. Now that may come through a feeling, it may come through thoughts. So you may have some ruminating thoughts. I have to get to work. I have to get to work. I have to pay the bills. I have to do this. I have to do this. But are those thoughts really what it's about? So we want to look underneath them. What's the energy animating the thought or the energy animating the feeling? Where is it really coming from? So you have to sit with that until that awareness or that answer arises. And then through that arising and that acceptance, it naturally starts to heal. Just by accepting it and seeing it, there's a deep level of healing that already is taking place. And then we may have to go into some memories, into a few deeper layers and go, where did that programming, that feeling, that pain come from and start to reconcile it. 
And then here's step, sorry, bonus step five is our next step. So maybe we heal some deep level of anxiety and then the next step of our life opens up that we couldn't see because we were so stuck on this pain or so stuck on this energy. So we find it, we feel it, we face it, and then we heal it. And then the next step of our lives opens up and maybe that answer kind of gets downloaded in meditation. So usually what's ailing us is what we need to focus on and heal. And then it's also the gift that we're here to give the world. So maybe you're also a healer. Maybe you're someone that helps people solve problems or you want to show up for somebody else or you want to do charity or there's this great creative gift that you're ready to give the world once you get through the block. So I can almost guarantee whatever you're struggling with, that's where your enlightenment is. And that's where the gift is that you're going to give the world. So meditating is much more than just getting rid of anxiety or having morning gratitude or sleeping well. It's deeply connected to your healing and your life's purpose. And when you frame it that way for people, they're like, I better start meditating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not on my path. I like that the idea of your life's purpose opening up and that, that fifth step being an opening to the next phase of your growth. So you you pay attention to what's holding you back now. And then as you really are working with that in meditation, the next steps open up. And what I found in my life is that I don't know those next steps when I begin the process, they open up as I clarified those things that were holding me back. And, and yes, and let me add that our answers are born out of our energy. And so what I mean by that is if you're going, what's my next step in life? What's my answer? What should I do? Who am I? That answer may not actually exist yet. You may have to go through the stages and layers of energy and shift yourself from the inside out. And then that answer is born almost like a fragrance off a flower as it starts to open and you have a realization and that answer forms. So you're, you're creating your life as you transform yourself from the inside out. So, so many people, Dawson, have come to me. I've done a lot, thousands of one-on-one sessions over the years. Who, what should I do to get a partner? How come I'm alone? What's my next business step? I, I need to make money. What should I do next with my life? And they're always wanting step 10 and they come to me and they're on step two, three, four, or five. And I'm like, you're not there yet to get that answer. You have to, you have to do this work. And some people go, all right, I'll do the work. And others are like, no, nah, I'll just find someone who's going to give me the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so start where you are, work what you have, and then those answers will come obvious to you. David, thank you so much for your wonderful work. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for the way you're really making this into a program that people can follow and get those answers. I'm so grateful to you personally and for the clarity and love in your message. Thanks for being a guest here. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Dawson. Thank you. You've been listening to High Energy Health. Please stay tuned for next week's wonderful show. We have a whole series we're doing now on meditation and neuroscience. And there's a lot of exciting stuff there as well as lots of practices for you to follow. I look forward to seeing you next week. Till then, be happy, be healthy, and thank you. Thank you.